Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Trashy Divorces. I'm Stacy. I'm Alicia. We expected things to be a little different this week, but it turns out it's a holiday weekend here in Atlanta, and so our season eight opener is a little different than we planned. Yeah, every year our awesome neighborhood, East Atlanta Village, does this big block party, and it's called the East Atlanta Strut, and it brings thousands of people together for food and art and drinks and music, which means a extra lot of it's a loud day here. It's a loud day. Here in our recording studio headquarters. Even with masks and healthy distancing, it's going to be loud. Yeah, so, so in honor of that, we've decided the better choice is to give you some recent stories from our Patreon vault recorded on quiet days. Alicia, you are revisiting the story of a woman who has fascinated for nearly a century, right? Matahari. It's the most exciting story that maybe you don't know all of. And... This week, Stacey, you... I have an It Came From the 90s story about a woman who has been much in the news lately. This is the cultural moment when Ellen DeGeneres came out as a lesbian back in 1997. It was this gigantic thing. It was a significant cultural moment. And she and her partner at the time, actress Anne Heche, have both... Well, it's fine now, but they both paid a heavy price in the aftermath of that. That was a fun X-Files episode. Yes. What did we do on Patreon this week before we begin the episode? <sighs> so many things. So you're doing a thing with Queens, the Queens podcast. I am. We dropped another episode about Six the Musical. Trashy Tidbits this week caught us up on... Some gossip. About previous Trashy Divorces alumnus, like Blake and Gwen and Princess Anne and the Kardashians. Oh. Yeah, you had the wind done gone about the Atlanta premiere of uh, Gone with the Wind. Yeah, it was a good story. Ooh, Trashtrology this week, we covered the fall equinox, Maybon, and the psychological construct called light and dark triads that was kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we had requests to discuss the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what that means for us. So we put together a trashy politics on basically some reforms that we need to insist that lawmakers pass to to bring power back down to the people. Power back down to the people is where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the people, let's Speaking. pull out the magic mirror and the, give some big shout outs to our new patrons this week. The people of the magic mirror. Thank you so much to Chris T, Maureen Z, Brenda C, Sky D, Maritza A, Angel B, and Jessica. Sarah, Stephanie S, Callum N, Mackenzie B, Renee J, Agatha H. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Patreon has rolled out an annual subscription option. And so several of our patrons have signed up all in one, one and done. It's a great idea if you're mm -hmm. looking for a gift for the holidays. You can just sign somebody up for a whole year. Mm -hmm. Patreon flipped a new feature and we are excited about it. Yep. We do also have some new super supporters to give a big shout out to as well. Mariana, Rachel C., and Danielle, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody, for coming back and listening for another Trashy Trashy Sunday. Alicia, do you hear the beat from the tambourine? Oh, I feel the beat from the tambourine. Let's talk about some dancing queens. Go, go, go. Alicia, tell me about the Matahari. Oh my God. This week. I'm picking one up from August. I've wanted to cover this story for so long, mainly for personal reasons. 
Because Matahari is my August 7th your, birthday twin. Your birthday twin, yes. Well, and besides, it's a hell of a story. And when people get all excited about who they share a birthday with, like, how many people can say they share a birthday with a exotic dancer, double agent spy, and a world-famous courtesan? People born on August 7th? Yeah, but no, we can't even do that, because <laughs> Matahari may not be able to say all those things either, although she will. Mostly everything you think you know about Matahari has a good chance of being wrong and false and just lies. Lies. I feel like she was mentioned in a Beatles song, maybe, and that's the extent of my knowledge. Well, prepare. Okay. Oh, it's a good story. There's lots of rumor and conjecture in her legend, but let's use this episode to separate the fact from the fiction and talk about the tale of Matahari. Okay. Matahari is not born in any exotic locale. She is born Margaretha Zell in the Netherlands, looking at a lot of windmills and tulips. Probably Margareta. Margareta, born August 7th, 1876. Wow, okay. Her dad, Adam, is loaded. He has lots of cash, and he is going to spoil and pamper his Leo princess, even when she's like 9 or 10, giving her a cart with a goat to pull it that she can ride on. Which for me to Adam cannot be an an excellent example early on for a Leo child to have. That's just a bad idea. Don't give your Leo kid a carriage and a animal to carry it. Well, and I don't I don't know if at the time Dutch people were famously very tall, but Dutch people are famously very tall. So as a Leo, she probably just felt very entitled if she traveled. <laughs> Margareta Zell. Until 13, things are going great, and then it's bad times. Dad goes broke, and he's going to leave Mom and Margareta for his mistress. And then Mom gets sick, and Mom is going to pass away when Margareta is 15, leaving a teenage kid essentially to go to school to learn how to become a teacher. But the thing that Margareta knows beyond anything else, because the confidence of a Leo child, is that she has appeal. A classmate of hers at the time will say she looks like an orchid among dandelions. Hmm. That's evocative. So sex and otherwise, pretty much immediately, Margareta begins to sleep with the headmaster of the school. Strong move. So she's like 17, so it's probably still statutory rape. Bold play. I don't think it was at the time. I, I, don't, I don't know the exact age of consent in Rocks. The Netherlands, but it's problems on the schoolmaster's end. I'm thinking in the 1890s, it was probably not against the law to sleep with a 17-year-old woman. What I'm trying to say is Margareta wants the fuck out of the backwater tulip town. It's the country that invented the red light district, okay? (laughs) Margareta, when she is 17, is going to find her salvation in the newspaper one day by way of a classified ad. There's a Lonely Hearts advertisement. There's an army officer back in town. He's a Netherlander, too. Well, Scottish Netherlander, actually. They're very tied. It's weird. He's a McLeod. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. All right. So Rudolph McLeod is back in town looking for a cultured lady, young. Does that mean one who is growing things on her body? Well, he's twice her age. Yikes. So he puts out a essentially an advertisement for a wife. He wants to marry and take her back with him to the Dutch East Indies. Okay. Because he's an army officer. And Margareta is like, fucking A, sign me up. 
So at 18, July 1895, Margareta will marry Rudolph MacLeod, almost twice her age. And Rudolph is the son of a captain and a baroness. So, like, he's already got some money and some stature. And off Rudolph MacLeod and Margareta go to Malang on the island of Java. Why are you laughing? I'm just enjoying your story. I okay. I googled where the Dutch East Indies were. And, it, yes, it was Indonesia. Indonesia. Thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So now Margareta is a wife. She's young, but she's playing in the upper crust. She's got a lot of money. Oh, right, because he's an army officer. Exactly. And he's the the son of a captain and the son of a baroness. He's a fancy dude, yeah. Yeah. So there's money. There's a home. There's servants. There are two kids that are going to pop out soon enough. But then there presents another problem. Does he go back to wage war against the English monarch? With no. a claim to the throne. Rudolph is a fucking asshole. Oh. He is mean. He's an abusive drunk. He's a notorious philanderer. He has many mistresses. And he's just a very, very bad man. Mm. And Margareta is going to go with it for as long as she can. But then she's like, mm, I think I need a little break. So she's going to move in with another officer, a junior <laughs> officer. That makes everything better. And begins to study Javanese dance and culture. Hmm religion and heritage and all that stuff. And Rudolph does get her to come back. But then the two-year-old son they have dies. And there are rumors going around that that two-year-old son is poisoned. But when you get down into the weeds of the medical reports, the child most likely, probably most assuredly died of inherited syphilis. Oh, God. That he got from Rudolph. I was going to suggest McLeod's disease because he's a McLeod. Inherited syphilis. Okay. Much worse. Because Rudolph is going to give syphilis to Margareta and the son and the daughter that they he's a very, very bad man. So now Margareta is out, Mm -hmm. right? So she will continue to study local Javanese culture and assigns herself a new persona, Matahari, meaning eye of the day in the Malay language. It's... Matahari is the word for sun. So, eye of the day, eye of the dawn, Leo girls. Eaten or tempeh. It's native to Indonesia. Like the the rhizopus on soybean thing was just a natural thing that occurs. If I was going to have a moniker, it would be Matahari. If I was going to have a moniker, it would be tempeh. (laughs) It wouldn't. Okay. So, what happens? Rudolph, Margareta... And their daughter head back to the Netherlands, where in 1902 they will divorce. And Rudolph is supposed to pay her some money, but Margareta never sees a dime. I'm shocked. Shocked. Old Rudy is also going to take their daughter for a visitation and never return the child. Also stunned. Beside myself. That daughter is going to die at the age of 21. Probably, most likely, assuredly, from inherited syphilis as well. I mean, you've heard of typhoid Mary, but syphilis Rudy is (laughs) pretty rough on his own family. So now Margareta, Margaretha, I don't even know what I'm saying, has a whole new opportunity to reinvent herself with all the things that she has learned in Java. And now Margareta is the Matahari. And she's changed her name, and it's on, and she goes to Paris in 1903. 
Paris 1903. Yeah, you're not kidding. We are looking at the last decade so of La Belle Epoque. Probably like 22, 23. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. God, they lived 24 so 24 in the last decade of La Belle Epoque? They lived what? so fast back then, yeah. Oh my gosh. And the summertime and the living sure. is easy in Paris. The economy, the culture, arts, flourishing. The Matahari is trying her hand at some nude modeling. She's going to ride a pony in a circus show. But none of those things are working out. But here's the thing. Because of her background, she knows five languages. And she's a fucking Leo. And she is great at this reinvention game. So times may be great in Paris, but a gal still has to support herself. Which is when, in 1905, Matahari is going to get a gig at the Asian Museum in Paris with 600 invited guests to see her perform her Javanese traditional cultural dances. Do tell. It's fucking ludicrous. <laughs> because it is Margareta's interpretations of them. Mm-hmm. They are not at all in any like, way culturally appropriate. Okay. Like the dancers in Java would never lift their arms above their head. They most certainly do not remove their clothes. But no matter. Matahari has outfits and moves and brings the house down and welcome to Paris. So when we talk about Josephine Baker setting Paris on fire in the mid-1920s, it's been two decades since the last fire was lit and that was done with Matahari in 1905. I mean, her moves may have been great, but by the end of her shows... She has completely stripped down to everything but her arm bracelets, which seems like it's striptease. It's fine. Like, it seems very normal today, but in 1905? Oh, I'm sure. Whoosh. Paris is all about it. So the press loves her. It's scandal, and she's the mystery, exotic mistress of the Orient. She is a Dutch girl from the Netherlands, right? Like... She has completely fabricated this entire myth and legend about her. Because when the press interviews her, she'll never tell the same story twice. It's always a new, like on the daily, there's a new story, there's sure. a new creation, there's a new invention. Well, that's reminiscent of Coco Chanel. It, who, you know. Wait till you get to it, because it kind of is. Yeah. So Matahari is playing to hundreds, if not thousands, in shows. Public shows, but she's also playing private parties. And it becomes, I'll go ahead and say creepy, this badge of honor if you're an officer or a diplomat or a court person or who the hell ever, if you are an important man, you're going to get more cachet by having slept with Matahari. I was going to say, and syphilis. Even if maybe you didn't even sleep with her. She's a super spreader. Jeez. <laughs> I'm guessing. I mean, maybe you have slept with her because between performing publicly and privately for all the cash, she's definitely also accepting money and favors from important men. What is she doing with the money? In the press, she will say it is for her daughter. But what she's really doing is living it up. Her spending is intense. She has a suite at the Grand Hotel. She will do all of her shopping by taxi which means getting in a taxi in the morning and making that waiter dry, making that taxi driver wait all day, 
while she goes and shops at the various shops or gets her nails done or I kind of feel like that's what I do with Instacart though. <laughs> they just bring everything to me though. The Grand Hotel, like what a name. I feel like I would run the Meh Motel. Meh's <laughs> 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 all right. <laughs> There's a bed. It's not a DOS house. I had a croissant <laughs> for breakfast. It was okay. I mean, she's spending thousands just on a bra. Like, you go back and there's an interview with the... Did it have diamonds? Like, like rhinestones and embedded okay. things. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You go back and talk to the granddaughter of the lady who made Matahari's bras. Like, her costume. Like it's a big... She is Josephine Baker in 1905. You know, her timing was just like a century off to pick up that necklace that Marie Antoinette did not want. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> but men will buy her things. She's making enough to buy herself things, but men will buy her things. Men will pay off her debts because she's running up debts, too. She'll run a bunch of debts and then skip out. Oh, there's all kinds of bad press about her because she takes milk baths. And they're starving children in France sure. who don't have milk because of her milk baths. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What does one smell like after <laughs> a milk bath, after they dry <laughs> for like two hours? It's not good, right? I, I don't know, man. It might smell like puppy. Cow? I don't know. Who did we cover who like put honey on their... Was that... Ribberis? Uh, yeah. Porphyria? Porphyria. Yeah, that dude had ants. I know. Like, <laughs> things I know are true. <laughs> That's how you get ants. That's how you get ants. Our things are great, okay? Until a bunch of other girls on the make in Paris are like, well, fuck, she doesn't even have real moves. I can do that, too. So now there are all these copycats that are cropping up with acts that are more tawdry, mm -hmm. that get nude faster. Mm -hmm. And Matahari's going to lose a little bit of her status, but she will book a gig in 1908 in Paris where she will end up getting pulled for being too plump. Now, she's also like 34 by this time, so things aren't great, but she's playing and performing and reinventing all the time and still sleeping with plenty of important men, and she's a niche in the bedpost of every man that lives during that time sure okay again syphilis super spreader okay so things are looking up in the summer of 1914 when matahari uh -oh. books a six-month gig oh no a lot a lot happened in 1914 in berlin uh-oh for two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. wow i can save like Things have been kind of sketchy financially. I can work six months in Berlin. Let me just go there for the summer, fall, and winter to Berlin in 1914. War to end all wars. 220K. Yeah. So war in the summer in 1914 in Berlin is going to break out, and Matahari's stuck. Her costumes and jewels are taken to pay back debts. The theater that has called her to come over for the six-month gig does not give her any money. Mm. So Matahari is penniless in Berlin at the beginning of the outbreak of World War I. Wow, there's just such a history of 
Dutch women really going hard at Germans during periods of war in the 20th century. Resilient girl. You're going to love what happens next. I think I will. So she languishes around. No, it's all shit. It's all shit, but it's fascinating. So Mata Hari, chilling in Berlin, penniless, doing what she does to get by, because Mata Hari is going to come out on top or give you something. By the fall of 1915, there's this German officer. His name is Kaiser Sose. I'm just kidding. His name is Carl Kramer, but Kaiser Sose is what I'm going to call him. Who's like, hey, honey, Mata Hari, you know, like five languages and have an international passport. So awesome. I'm a German officer spy, but I'm going to give you 60,000 francs to go back to Paris and work as a German agent for us. Well, that's not the direction I thought things would go. And Matahari's like, I'll be happy to take your 60,000 francs and get the fuck out of here and back to Paris. Now, I've seen this as 60,000 francs and 20,000 francs. So, but regardless. It's a a healthy amount of pocket money. to. It's a lot of cash for a penniless person stranded in Berlin, right? So this is where it is said that Matahari gets her code name of H21 and sent to spy school. And she learns how to write and use invisible ink and how to drop and receive secret coded messages. But I think that history will bear out that this is all a fucking lie. Because in 2017, there are almost 1,300 pages released a hundred years after her death of her sealed record, which sheds more light on the lies that everyone has believed about Matahari for a hundred years. Okay. Okay. So Matahari is like, sure, I'll take your 60,000 francs. Give me back to Paris. And she gets back to Paris and she's $60,000 richer. And she's like, fine. She's in the land of milk baths and honey. Yeah. She has no intention of spying for fucking Germany. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) She got what she wanted. She's Mm -hmm. in Paris and to hell with the lot of you. But now. Where she knows every powerful man. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. But now the French government is suspicious as fuck. Because Matahari is sleeping with like half a dozen officers from all kinds of countries. She's sleeping with Frenchmen. She's sleeping with Irishmen. She's sleeping with Russians. Like, Matahari's doing Matahari. We don't judge. You do you, girl. But the French government will trail her, follow her with legit double agents on her ass for a year, trying to get any kind of dirt they can on her for spying. And nothing ever happens. They will break into her room at the Grand Hotel Trying to find dirt. Nada. Matahari's like, I earned that money and I'm going to spend that money and I'm back in Paris and I'm having a fine time. The French can't find anything on her and the Germans are pissed because they think she stole 60,000 francs for work not given. Which it sounds like she did. I mean, okay. Take that, Kaiser. So say. So, like, things are fine, but then Matahari falls in love for the first time with a Russian officer. And it's full of passion, and he's at war, and he ends up getting wounded at war and losing part of his sight, and she must be able to visit him at the front. Like, she's desperate to get back to her lover. And this is where France, or the French counterintelligence unit, the main guy is like, hey, little lady. I can help you out. 
if you'd like to be a counter spy for us, for France, because we know you're a German spy, but if you want a counter spy for France, I'll sign your passport. You can get out of the country and meet your lover if you will bed this German officer and get him to spill all of his dirty, dirty war plans. Maginot line. Are you into the story? Is this the best story you've ever heard? Okay. I I can't wait. So Matahari is going to go see her Russian blind lover, as well as seduce the German officer, but for real. Okay. Do you remember watching Harriet the Spy? I mean, wow. Okay. Been a while. Okay. So Harriet the Spy is in the dumbwaiter, and Eartha Kitt is the lady she's spying on, and Harriet the Spy just bumbles. She's like fucking Mr. Bean, right? Matahari is no 007, is what I'm saying. Because the French dude, once she has, because she beds the German officer, has the information, but the French dude is not making contact. And she's like, I have this information, and I'd really like to come home now, and I've been stuck in The Hague, which is relatively safe, and if she'd stayed there, maybe would have lived. I've heard it's very boring. But she's a Leo girl. She's a little impatient. So Matahari is going to write a letter in regular ink and send it with a regular stamp and send it in the regular post through Europe. So it is traced a hundred ways to Sunday and read by everyone. And sure enough, this is très embarrassment for the French. Okay, there's a lot more to the story and it gets a little more complicated, but that's pretty much the gist of it. Because both sides see her as a double agent. But now both sides are trying to outsmart each other. And I'm sorry, if she had ever gone to intelligence school, she's never going to send a message in regular ink through the regular post. Like, this is stupid. Not much spycraft going on, is what you're saying? Harriet the spycraft is what I'm saying. No, it's a very funny scene. You should watch it. It's Spy crap. Yeah, it's spy crap is what she's doing. But both sides are in the game or trying to outsmart each other because the Germans are like... She is a French spy, and we gave her money, and... Okay, so the Germans are going to send a message to Berlin, but this message saying she is a French spy is coded in a code that the Germans know the French already know how to crack. See where I'm going Mm -hmm. with this? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's kind of a setup. She's burned. I think that's the term. We she's use burned. Now. The French guy she's working with never tags her back. So this message gets broadcasted out and is intercepted from a listening post on La Tour Eiffel, which is the only evidence they ever really get against her is the evidence the Germans have set up to go directly to the French government to burn her. Once she finally makes her way back to Paris... Matahari is arrested and she's sent to Salazar prison, where it is said the conditions are so bad even the dogs won't eat the food at Salazar. She is questioned for three months straight and gives up, guess what? Nothing, because there's nothing to tell. Right. Sure, I took all that German money, but I earned it because I fucked that guy and I wasn't a spy. And Yeah, I asked the questions the French dude told me to ask, and every man across the continent, no matter what country you're from, that has slept with her or been involved with her in any way over the years is like, Cascasse? Who? 
I do not know this person. Interesting. I never sent her on errands. I don't even know who you're talking about. How could I have sent her on an errand or Mata what? told her a thing? Mata who? So Mata Hari is totally burned, made out to be the bad guy, and will take the fall for all of these stupid games men play. Mata Hari ends up getting blamed for the death of 50,000 French soldiers, which makes her, like, both sides need her dead. So she is set up, burned as a scapegoat, given a two-day show trial, is found guilty and sentenced to die. In France? Yes. By the French, okay. Yep. October 15th, 1917, Dawn is maybe where Mata Hari gives her best performance albeit her final one. Mm. She dresses in her best outfit. She's led to the firing squad, where she refuses both a blindfold and being restrained to the pole. She looks them all in the eye. She blows kisses to every one of the soldiers in the firing squad. Bravely looks them in the eye, When they are about to shoot her to her death, she never changes her expression. Hmm. Always performing, goddess of reinvention, she is the bravest she has ever been in the face of death. There's a 1934 New Yorker article that describes it this way. Slowly, inertly, she settled to her knees, her head up always, without the slightest change of expression on her face. For a fraction of a second, it seemed she tottered there, on her knees, gazing directly at those who had taken her life. Then she fell backward, bending at the waist, with her legs doubled up beneath her. I did have a great quote from one of the generals who witnessed it, and I don't know why it's not in here. Like, that's the way you're supposed to die. Like, she she did it. She just did it. Leo girl, Matahari, and the story that maybe, like, surprised you. And she's set up by a whole bunch of crap men playing stupid war games, and it's easy to make her into what they need her to be because of her easy reputation. But I love that story. Matahari has been portrayed in movies and ballets and operas. Greta Garbo plays her in a film as well. That is the tale. Of Matahari, my birthday twin, hmm. badass Leo, not a spy. Terrible spy. Not a spy! <laughs> I'm working to get paid so I can persevere. Yeah. How much shit do men put women through just for women to be able to persevere? And Matahari got fucked for it, and I will always be angry, and that's my birthday twin. So now that you've listened to that, is that a loose woman? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. That's probably a loose woman, yeah. Okay, that's what I'm going to call it. Mahari. God, I love that story. Bailed on hubby. Who beat her and let her kid die a simple... Well, no, I mean... I mean, I'm sorry. She bailed on a shitty relationship and went off and became the person she wanted to be. That's loose women. Loose women. There you go. Mm -hmm. That is the tale of Matahari, which we are finding more about because of all of those records that were sealed for 100 years, but... Nobody had anything on her. She was just strung up because important men were like, ooh, my penis may be exposed in this la scandale. Well, or you give her a bunch of money to go to Paris and then basically she embarrasses you professionally. So, yeah, you 
she stole from you and then didn't deliver the spy craft that you thought she... <laughs> That's Matahari. Well done. I love her. Wasn't that a fun story? Yeah, it was a fun story. Okay, thanks. I'm that, so excited to tell that. That's her real claim to fame. Is that she's my birthday twin? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Friends, I want to know who your birthday twin is. Who is the most badass person born on your birthday? That's what I want to know. And until then, big love. Thank you for your support and being awesome. Definitely. Bye, friends. Bye. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Oh, Stacy, you're bringing out a trashy breakup out of the X-Files today. <laughs> the X-Files, indeed. You may have heard of a little, little talk show host named Ellen DeGeneres, who is, uh, she's been in the news lately. A little bit. Not for any really good reasons. So, you know, the Queen of Nice. I guess there have been periodic reports from her show, like, for years, that she's a nightmare boss. Seems to be coming to full fruition lately. So we had heard a few stories, you and I, from friends uh, who who work Mm -hmm. over there. Yeah, who work in, in that industry in Hollywood, not for her specifically. That the public image and the person are very, very, very different. Like 180 degrees different. Like sort of like expressly abusive, not just like short tempered or rude or whatever, like all of those things, but like, cause we, cause we compare, made this, I think comparison, if not on the show, then privately, like Johnny Carson was like that. He was a really private guy. He had a hard time. Like he was an, he's an eye, he's an introvert. Sure. He needed to save all of his little energy mm-hmm. in his own little energy ball. But as I don't, think anybody ever said that Johnny Carson was a dick, except probably his, his ex-wives. ex-wives. Yeah. He was pretty bad to them. But yeah, he seemed to have been, to the few people who knew him well, he, he seemed to have been very well liked. Yeah, what's happening over in, in the Ellen versus... Isn't the same thing. Two I-type personalities. Right. Different manifestations. Yeah, this isn't just like introversion. Yeah. And anyway, I, I kind of get into some of the specific allegations later on. But I figured as the Ellen show is undergoing this reckoning, it might be a perfect moment because I know we have talked about Anne Heche and Ellen DeGeneres, the couple. It came from the 90s. I thought it might be a nice time to dive into that. So that's what we have done. I got my tippy toes hanging over the board. Let's go. Yes, it was a brief but life-changing and society-changing relationship. That was the talk. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get away from it.
Yeah, they were a groundbreaking queer celebrity couple, and they were the only out lesbian couple in Hollywood at the time. Let's get these two together. Ellen Lee DeGeneres, born January 26th, 1958, and Aquarius, mm. was born in Metairie, Louisiana, and mostly grew up there. Her parents divorced in 1973, and when her mother remarried, she, Ellen, and Ellen's stepdad, who molested her, naturally, moved to the town of Atlanta, Texas. Oh, no. Where Not she... Atlanta, Texas. That's fine. I didn't know that her stepdad molested her. Yeah, I didn't either. So she graduates high school there, heads back to New Orleans to take a stab at college. I don't think she finished. She was doing stand-up in between the kind of jobs you would do in your late teens, early 20s. Waitressing, retail, bartending, painting houses, stuff like that. By the early 80s, she was generating enough revenue to tour. And in 84, Showtime declared her America's Funniest Person. She was on Carson for the first time in 86. Doors began to open for her in the TV sitcom world, and film work would follow. In 1994, she was cast as the lead in an ABC series originally titled These Friends of Mine, which began season two retitled to Ellen, partly because Friends premiered that fall. Sure. This all happened while Ellen was publicly closeted, although the fact that she was gay was not any kind of secret no. to gay people or in the comedy world or in Hollywood or, like... I realize that I am an extremely out of touch, not exactly coastal, not exactly elite person, but I, I do wonder who was surprised. People were surprised. I d okay. This was a massively controversial thing. Sponsors fled. Like, careers were sidelined. Oprah got hate mail because Oprah played the therapist on the... Anyway. Well, may and maybe it... I mean, people in Hollywood have been gay forever and everybody knew it. But you just didn't get outed. So maybe it was the coming out part that was the shocking part that somebody would actually like come out and want to claim who they were as truth instead of just living the lie of a shadow their whole life. Yeah. I watched part of because, you know, there was a big Oprah interview as part of this rollout of Ellen coming out. And Oprah played a clip of Jerry Falwell, like shitbag Jerry Falwell. Just just saying shitbaggy things. Apparently he called her Ellen Degenerate. Uh, he's just a shitbag. It wasn't even original, dude. Okay. That didn't happen. The, the coming out didn't happen until 1997. A lot happened that year. In fact, at a Vanity Fair Oscars party on February 8th, she met an up-and-coming actress named Anne Heche. Heche, who had done a four-year run on Another World and won a Daytime Emmy for her efforts, had been gradually building her profile in film for several years. And Donnie Brasco, where she played the wife of Johnny Depp's title character, was due to hit screens just a few weeks after she met Alan. That film would go on to make $125 million, which is a bankability that would put Anne in a really weird spot mm -hmm. very soon. So let's talk about Anne Heche. Because I think I knew some of her backstory at the time, but everything about this was really eye-opening to look at today. Anne was born May 25th, 1969. She is a Gemini, mm -hmm. but she's also on the cusp of energy there with She Taurus. is on the cusp of energy. I was very thorough in my zodiacal reporting. I'm not kidding. It's a handy-dandy thing to know about, y'all. You scoff, Stacey. She was the youngest of five children, and her childhood was not 
simple. The family was almost constantly in motion. They moved 11 times, I think by the time she was 14 or something. Yeah. I think they were trying to outrun poverty or run toward stability. Her parents were very religious, but it seems like it was a brittle kind of faith that masked a lot of personal hypocrisy. Her father worked as a choir director, through which he engaged in numerous affairs with men. Oh, no. And when Anne was 13, he died of AIDS. Oh, God. She has said that... How terrible. Yeah, she said that her father never came out as gay to them, but, like, the family, like, understood, like, her mother understood that he was quite a promiscuous gay man. So you can imagine the types of cross pressures that would be happening in that household. How tragic. Very religious... And she knows that he is cheating. Like, the mother knows that dad is cheating with men. Well, and to die of, you know, at yeah. the time, the gay disease. Right. Wow. Yeah, the, uh, Yeah. he died in 83. Mm. So other unhappy things, despite his apparent preference for men, this did not prevent him from sexually abusing Anne. <gasps> no! Throughout her childhood. <gasps> no! Like, the family disputes this. Her, like, she's got one surviving sibling who is like, I don't think that happened. And I think she thinks it happened, but I know in the past she said maybe it hasn't, it didn't happen. Like, there's a lot happening here, but Anne Heche believes that she was molested by her father throughout her childhood. Just months after the dad died, her 18-year-old brother was killed in a car crash. Oh, God. Okay. Anne believes this was a suicide. The rest of the family is like, no, like, it it wasn't a suicide. And, like, the official report is he fell asleep at the wheel. There's just a lot. Like, her perception of things seems really out of step with the people around her is sort of... Or is her perception entirely truth and people around her are covering for their family sins and secrets? Yeah. It's a... We'll never know. Wow. Yeah, it's like an unreliable narrator story. We just don't know who the unreliable narrator is. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, it's really easy, I think, at this juncture to feel a lot of sympathy for Anne's mother, Nancy. I mean, husband died after what I assume was a very unhappy marriage. Son has now died. There was, they had a child uh, in the early sixties who died of a heart condition, uh, just a few months old. Yeah. Like it, there's a lot of tragedy in this story. Okay. So you, you want to feel a lot of sympathy, but Nancy has gone on to be a Christian therapist and motivational speaker who lectures about overcoming homosexuality through Christ. Nope. And I just can't with that nonsense. Yeah. She's part of James Dobson's focus on the family and, Nope, nope. All that. Like, you get how wounding her marriage must have been, but come on. Maybe you need to focus on yourself a little, Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. So here's sort of the summary of all of this. We have a rootless, deprived family. They're patterned into this religious framework where secrets and lies are allowed to fester. There may have been sexual abuse. There was certainly a good deal of misery. And Anne will later say that for the first 31 years of her life, she was, and this is her language, please do not email, that she was insane as a result of her father's sexual abuse. Uh, As a young child, she apparently created this fantasy world she called the Fourth Dimension. She had an alter ego named Celestia, who was the daughter of God and half-sister of Jesus, who spoke to aliens. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is classic childhood. This is classic childhood trauma I'm in a lot of trauma, Mm -hmm. and I am... 
So what making a world the best way I know how. Yeah. So like we can never know the specifics with certainty, but we can certainly note that whatever happened in her childhood, it did some real damage. Okay. February 8, 1997 at the Vanity Fair Oscars party. She sees Ellen DeGeneres across the room and the poll was real. Ellen had been negotiating with ABC at this point, maybe for as long as a year to allow her character, Ellen Morgan, to come out, which would also allow her as a person to come out. And like the hints, there there were hints everywhere. I mean, she, she was coy about it, but she was not coy about it. Like it was, it was a very dumb story that was happening in the culture at the time from, from our perspective, I think. So dumb. God, it's amazing how much the world has changed. In 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Ellen gets credit for being a big part of that change. She got a fucking Medal of Freedom. <laughs> Obama did that, right? Yeah. Do you think he was allowed to look her in the eye? Apparently, she'll, you know, slide her rules if you're a president. Yeah. So, Ellen had been negotiating with the network to to allow this, like, coming out, which kind of made the timing of the relationship picture perfect in a lot of ways. So, the following month, March, the puppy episode was what it was called, went into production. And I think at that point, there was just widespread leaking. Like, it was... It was made known to the press that Oprah, there was... Oprah, Laura Dern, where's my toaster? That there was a coming out episode in the sure. works. I never did get my damn toaster. <laughs> this, did um, you get your lesbian toaster? Because... We don't even own a toaster. <sighs> this episode was called the puppy episode, mm-hmm. by the way, because this show really lacked... It was like Ellen Morgan owns a bookstore and these are her friends and the people who work at the bookstore and whatever. Like, it didn't really have any point of view it didn't really have any particular focus and she herself for obviously reasons was resistant to like oh you're a single woman let's have you go on bad dates and you know have weird stabs at relationships and end up falling in love like she didn't want to do any of that so the network was like what the fuck do we do to like peg this show to something and the president of Disney or something was like, how about how about we just Puppies. Ellen Morgan gets a dog? How about that's going to be our big narrative hook? All right, so I guess that just turned into an onset joke, and I guess they were like trying to the puppy be cutesy and code the episode. Yeah, it, it co-stars Laura Dern. Oprah plays her therapist. There are cameos by like Billy Bob Thornton's in it, and just every Katie Lang I think is in it. Melissa Etheridge appear like. It, it, I do love some Katie Lang. Yeah. Anne's next movie, Volcano, was due out on April 25th. I have a fucking volcano. So, yeah, like the week before the puppy episode airs. Meanwhile, Ellen appears on the cover of Time Magazine on April 14th. I'm, yep, I'm gay. Yep, I'm gay. With, uh-huh. Yep. Then she sits for an interview with Oprah to coincide with the puppy episode. Oh, God. And Anne Heche joins toward the end of that. Horrifying. I mean, I was watching it earlier and... These people had been together for three months. Wow. And you're doing a national public National, out. yeah, rollout uh-uh. of your... Also, Anne Heche is 11 years... She was 27. And 11 years younger. And soon in the relationship. And Anne Heche was not gay. Anne Heche had not spent years wrestling with, like, managing, you know, private zone and She just saw a girl at a party and, and thought she was kind of cute. 
Yep, Ellen was her first and, as far as we know, only girlfriend ever, and she had never identified... What extraordinary bad luck. ...anything <laughs> but straight Ash. up until that point. It really... Like, she was on the verge of being, like, a real movie star, and... Then she wasn't. Then she wasn't. Mm-hmm. She lost that. It's... I mean, whatever. She's had a career. She's kept working. It's fine, but it is fascinating how everyone in this story was punished. Laura Dern didn't work. Oh, for years. Again, Oprah got hate mail for this episode. Like, Oprah invited several people who had written nasty letters to her about her involvement in, like, Ellen's coming out to the show to confront Ellen. It didn't go well. It was painful to watch. I mean, this woman saying, like, my 10-year-old son saw your Time magazine cover in the grocery store, and I had to explain what gay is. And Ellen's like, okay. It's, what, what's wrong with that? <laughs> like, just different. The times, they are they changing. They are changing. Wow. Not quickly enough. Okay. So, yeah, it's, that's pretty awful. Check your show notes. Uh, while this was certainly a watershed moment in the culture, the professional implications were very bad. So Anne Heche had been cast opposite Harrison Ford in a romance adventure Ooh, movie. Six Days, Seven Nights. Six Days, Seven Nights. Like a day before the big coming out. Oh, God. And the studio like, was totally ready to fire her. I think Harrison Ford stepped up to, to advocate for her and just be like, <laughs> you guys are dinosaurs. Stop this. So she was in the movie. It ended up being a moderate success. But like she broke a rule. I think is I think is basically Ellen and Anne broke a Hollywood rule that no one had ever written down. But there was just this unspoken rule like you be whatever you want, but don't tell anyone. It's just yeah, the big studios just We have fixers out there who will let you be what you want, but you we don't tell anybody. Fixers going to fix. Yeah. So yeah, like all the all the big studio doors closed. Mm. She was just Mm-mm-mm. I don't know, her career was not quite mothballed. She had some other high profile roles, like Gus Van Zant put her in Psycho, but it did poorly. Like it was just I think she hit kind of a rough patch in some parts she had chosen, as well as like all of the publicity around this relationship. The studios no longer viewed her as appropriate leading lady material. They just didn't think the public would be willing to believe her as like a a romantic lead. Funny that my job's an actress. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) hey, have you heard of Rock Hudson? Um, Okay. So her career trajectory was just taken in a very different direction. She's largely worked in independent films and TV roles ever since i mean what's remarkable though like looking at her wikipedia page she has she's one worked. of the most steadily working actresses since the day she walked onto set at the soap opera in 1987 she has every year movies tv usually both ah okay so meanwhile the ellen tv series lasted just one more season mm-hmm. For all that it contributed to moving the culture forward, its ratings fell sharply in the aftermath of the puppy episode. Apparently, Disney execs didn't want to really put a lot of marketing to it after that. Again, their brand is family, and for whatever reason... You can't be gay at Disney. The show was canceled in May of 98. 
this prompted Ellen to go into a pretty depressive funk. And, you know, she felt just very ill-used by the network, by Hollywood, by the press, by just... And I think think that's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, you know, she feels like her show was canceled because she came out as gay. And that's not great. And that is what happened. I mean... Yeah. She went back to stand-up. She had a few projects here and there, uh, but she was kind of in the wilderness for several years. And even worse, in the summer of 2000, Anne suddenly left her, apparently without even explaining why. Ellen would tell the LA Times in 01, quote, She walked out the door and I haven't spoken to her since. I don't have the answers. I would love to have them myself. I would ask all of the questions that everyone else wants to ask. I'm left with everybody else wondering what happened. I don't know. I really don't. I feel betrayed. Okay, so what happened was she fell in love with a cameraman from Ellen's stand-up tour. Oh, well. They would marry the next year. There you go. Is this before or after the journey through the desert up? Are we getting to that? We're here. Okay, great. Because <laughs> this happened the next day, like the day after. I was curious about the timing. Okay. Yes, the day after. I guess on August 18, their PR people put out a statement like, the split is amicable. We would ask for your respect for our privacy. This it's whatever. super amicable when no one's talking about oh, why yeah. they just split up. Yeah, no, that was boilerplate. The next day, August 19. Oh, God. 2000, Anne drives out of L.A., heads out to a remote area outside of Fresno, California, which is way up closer to San Francisco than I realized. Like, Mm -hmm. that was quite a drive. She would later say that she had taken ecstasy when she parked her car on the side of the road and dressed only in a bra and shorts, walked off into the desert. Mile and a half in, she comes upon a house and she did what you do. She knocked on the door. The homeowner had seen six days and seven nights and was very confused about why, like, a... Anne Hesch was in a bra and shorts with why no is, film why, crew. Why is there a movie star standing up on my porch? She's probably thirsty. She was thirsty. Yeah. She drank a lot of water. I bet she did. She came in and just drank water and drank water and drank water and then told him she needed to take a shower. And he was like, okay. okay. Got her a towel. <laughs> After that, she gets done with the shower. She's like, let's sit and watch a movie. And his- See, what's unfortunate about COVID is that, you know, the next Hollywood star that shows up at our door. We're not even going to answer. We're not even going to answer. We're like, they're thirsty. They need a shower. We want to sit and watch the Flintstones with them. But we're not even going to let them in the house because of COVID. Because of COVID. Okay, so the, the guy's VCR was broken. Oh, no. So they couldn't watch a movie. And then after, like, some time passed and, like, Anne wasn't making any moves to call a friend or call a tow truck or... Whatever. I was probably fine hiding out from she's, the safety of not being around her weird girlfriend. She's just going to move in. So he calls the cops. No, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, okay. Problematically, when the police arrive, Anne identified herself as God. <gasps> not Celestia? Told them she was here to take everyone back to heaven in a spaceship. Awesome. Heaven's she Gate. had a break. Heaven's Gate had happened a few years yeah. earlier. I don't know. This or I don't ecstasy through her I was back into a ecstasy dehydration desert temps. Mm-hmm. Not Put sure. Her back into a space. She the police called an ambulance who took her to Fresno University Medical Center. There she was put into the psych unit, but she was released within hours. Like they didn't there was no 72-hour hold. There was no Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. Had a bad day. Mhm. 
So that shower was nice, and that guy <laughs> had some good desert water. <laughs> the cameraman from Ellen's comedy tour that mm-hmm. she had fallen in love with is Coleman Coley Lafoon. They married in September of 2001. They would start their divorce in 07. It, it wasn't finalized until 09. That breakup happened because she fell in love with oh, no. an actor that she co-starred with named James Tupper. They were together through 2018. Oh, wow. And Anne has two sons, one from each of these relationships. Ellen, of course, has been with Portia de Rossi since 04, and they married in 2008. She made a major career comeback in 2003 when she voiced Dory, a chipper but forgetful fish, in Finding Nemo. And that fall, her daytime talk show premiered. Her brand is goofy kindness, but there have been stories for years that things on set are not like that. They're not at all. There's a 2019 Amazon Studios movie written by goddess Mindy Kaling called Late Night that stars Emma Thompson as a long-running late-night comic talk show host. We need to watch that. Who wears suits and has short blonde hair and is a boss from hell. Like She assigns numbers to all of her writers because she doesn't know their names and doesn't care to. At least Paris Geller had some charm about her when she did that nonsense at the Yale Daily News. So I'm pretty sure that portrayal is based on Ellen. Like, it's a fun watch. We should watch it. It's a fun watch. Like, there have been, like, back in 07, one of her former writers came out and, like, just couldn't, just couldn't believe how horrible Ellen was to the writing staff. Okay, so 2017, Radar Online ran a bunch of anonymous quotes from the set. Like, when the cameras aren't rolling, she treats staffers as if they are peasants. No one is allowed to engage Ellen in conversation or even look her in the eye. (laughs) She picks and chooses people to be nice to when it's to her advantage. She'll invite some staffers to fun outings and purposely exclude others to create tension, jealousy, and hurt feelings. Staffers never know what she'll go off on or who she'll target. It's like walking on eggshells. There's also that epic Twitter thread from comedian Kevin T. Porter that started in March asking for true examples. Oh, this has been going on forever. Of it's Ellen great. being mean. And while there are plenty of likely true examples in there, there are also just some, I checked it out today, there are outrageous whoppers that are so much fun to read. And I think it's really just a, a great testament to how people spent their time during COVID in the pandemic. Like, <laughs> Just writing big lies about like fanciful encounters that never happened with Ellen. <laughs> like, but they say like this didn't happen. This isn't. Or well, is they're so they're so, so obviously untrue. I rode my dinosaur. Yes, to the tiki bar. Yeah, there's there was one that I was just like getting a real chuckle out of. I don't know. I got fired from my job at the zoo, so I was driving Lyft, and then it's like a stop sign altercation, and somebody hops out of a Tesla, and it's Ellen. And meanwhile, there's a granny in the back talking about surviving the holocaust and taking her three-year-old to the doctor and ellen comes over and like forces the door open and grabs the kid and punches him in the like obviously untrue okay okay. yeah as long as you recognize that like satire none of that can be verified like the stories in there can't be verified although definitely check out the twitter thread again it'll be in your show notes and it's just it's stuff like again can't verify, but like she keeps a bowl of gum out of her outside of her office because she has a sensitive nose, and uh, <laughs> there are just all kinds of stories that are uh, poor Portia de Rossi. They're interesting. So 
That is a little flashback to Ellen and Anne and a somewhat bizarre relationship between somewhat bizarre people that managed to change America for the better anyway. Trashy. I think Anne Heche has actually gone on to have a relatively happy life. Good for her. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Ellen does. It doesn't appear that she does. It doesn't. She doesn't feel She doesn't really exude happiness happy. to me. Yeah. Mm-mm. It's so shocking that 23 years ago, it was like a story of international importance. International importance. That a comic with a sitcom, with like not even like the most popular sitcom in America, like, but a sitcom came out as gay. No, thanks for taking one for the team, Ellen. I mean, Ellen, to her credit, made yeah. it easier for for sure other people to do that same thing, even though nobody really did that same thing for a long time because of the blowback that Ellen experienced. Yeah. But thanks. Thanks for, you know, being a, a pacemaker, a wave, wave paver. Meanwhile, another Ellen, Ellen Page is killing it on the Umbrella Academy over on, I think, on Netflix. Or I like her. Amazon Pro, wherever that is. She's sassy. It's a good show. Yeah. And she's a cool advocate. So, you know, there are Ellen's we can believe in. <laughs> Stacey, that was very interesting. Thank <sighs> you for that episode of The X-Files. The x Trashy Files. Breakups. Ellen and Anne. What a mess. Friends, thank you for tuning in. I hope that guy fixed his VCR for when the next starlet comes <laughs> rolling through the desert. I mean, it's like the weird beginning of a porn movie. I, 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 obviously, it didn't go in that direction, but like, yikes. Oh, my. Um, thank you so Y'all much. Y'all are the best. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, until we talk to you again. Keep the paws clean. Keep the hearts trashy. Cheers, friends. Bye, everyone. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all. <laughs>